Welcome, everybody, to this month's edition of Refuel. We have a very special guest who has been with us before. Her name is Dolores Santos. Uh, Dolores is now president. I want to make sure I get this right so we get your name right. It's uh, Santos Consulting Services, LLC. But Dolores is really the queen of the markets. So I've been doing this for a long time. Dolores has been doing it a, a bit longer than I am. But I, I always use Dolores as my go-to when it comes to complicated issues within the industry that affects the downstream. Um, and she's got a very, very lengthy background on the supply side. So welcome, Dolores. How are you? Thank you, Scott. Thank you for the kind words. Doing great out here in California. That hurricane went by, so. That's good. That's good. That's good. So before we get started on this, what do you think about the markets? It looks like we're back over 80 bucks now on WTI. And we've had, uh, what are we at on the, uh, the distillate is now $3.14. You keeping an eye on the markets and what's going on with that? I am. And, you know, it had gone under, um, our Bob for a while. Now it's back over. And I guess everybody's getting ready for the winter and demand was starting to pick up. And of course, we're in the harvest season. So every time we roll into the harvest season, the market tends to go up between August and October. Let me ask you real quick, what do you see kind of in your crystal ball? What does it look like Look, go heading into the fall and into the early winter in terms of price and supply? You see more upward momentum or, or what? What do you think? Well, my guess is we're going to see more increases in price. We're still below the five-year average for inventories. Um, we're having trouble building that back up. So depending on what happens in Europe, um, you know, I think we're still going to see prices strong going into winter. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So last uh, episode of Refuel, we had on an expert who talked about renewable diesel. And, you know, we kind of touched on what it is, how it's made and all of that stuff. But you as somebody that's in the trenches and you as somebody who has sold to a lot of trucking companies, you know, you have a bit of a different slant on renewable diesel. So we thought we'd have you on and I could pick your brain a little bit about renewable diesel. Is that okay with you? Okay. All right. So let's start out. Okay. First question a lot of people ask is, Explain the difference to me between renewable diesel and biodiesel. Well, there's a really big difference between renewable diesel and biodiesel. Renewable diesel is hydrocheated. It's basically refined. So the finished product's basically indistinguishable from diesel. Biodiesel is processed differently, and it has fatty acid methyl esters, which is also known as fame. So it it's not chemically the same as diesel, and it requires special handling. Um, some pipelines won't allow it because if there's any jet fuel in the pipeline, the biodiesel tends to cling to the side of the pipeline, and they don't want that contamination with jet fuel. Um, biodiesel has much better lubricity than renewable diesel. That's why a lot of people blend biodiesel into their renewable diesel for the lubricity benefit. Um, it, it does have cold flow point issues in the winter, depending on the feedstock. It can gel because biodiesel has paraffin wax in it. So you have to be very careful with that. But renewable diesel is interchangeable. It ships in the pipeline. There's no special handling required. 
it does require lubricity because even ultra-low sulfur dieselness have lubricity now that we've cut the sulfur out. So we call, correct me if I'm wrong, but we call renewable diesel a drop-in fuel, right? Correct. And that, explain what we mean by that. So it, it can ship with diesel. It, it's the same. Now, uh, Tender Morgan out on the West Coast has recently allowed uh, renewable diesel is going in um, into segregated storage, R99. But you can put renewable diesel or fossil diesel in your truck. There's, there's no limit. Who produces it, Dolores? Because I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, it is a pretty balanced market right now. There's not a big spot market for it because most of the barrels are contracted. But that's going to change, right? And walk, walk us through a little bit of that if you can. So domestically, Diamond Green is, is really big. Um, I think they're number one in the U.S. You've got Marathon and Dickinson as well as Marathon and Martinez, they are now producing about 17,000 barrels a day of renewable diesel. That refinery shut down in 2020, and by the end of 2023, they're going to be producing about 50,000 barrels a day of renewable diesel. Holly Frontier, um, there's some other smaller production plants. REG has a production plant. Um, Nesty is a very big importer of renewable diesel, and they bring in a, the lion's share of renewable right now into the West Coast. And there's some other plants coming up, um, New Rise in Nevada, and some Midwest production. Okay, so w is it safe to say that this market that maybe seems balanced to somewhat tight is going to be, those, there should be more of it as we head into 2024, correct? Correct. And, and Philip 66 in the Bay Area is also producing about 8,000 barrels a day. They plan to shut their refinery down in 2024 and just produce renewable diesel. And they're going to be close to 50,000 barrels a day as well. And, uh, you know, renewable diesel is earmarked for the states that have climate change programs. That's California, Oregon, Washington, and in Canada, British Columbia. Okay. Th that's where the credits come in, right? That's where the credits look at. Okay. Correct. So when we talk about renewable diesel, we talk about R99 and we talk about R100, right? Well, with R100, if you're going to be buying R100, then you're going to get that. You're going to have to pay the price because you don't earn the RIN, you don't earn the lender's credit until you blend it. So in most cases, it's going to be sold as R99. Okay. And how does it get, so what do they blend it with to get it to R99? It's, it's, and it's different feedstocks, right? It can be different. Walk us through that. In most cases, it's actually R99.9. They'll put a very small amount of fossil diesel in it, <clears throat> excuse me, to, to quote, blend it. So R99 has a small amount of diesel in it. And the, there's ver a variety of feedstocks. The refiners are mainly using soybean seed crops. Um, but use cooking oil, corn oil, tallow from meat processing are very popular as well for producing renewable diesel. And I might add that we're starting to see some competition for feedstocks between renewable diesel and biodiesel. And I think the renewable diesel ultimately will win. So the feedstock, the price of the feedstock is key in terms of what becomes the price of the renewable diesel, correct? Correct. Okay. So is one is like Yuko, which is used cooking oil. Is that competitive with soybean oil, with towel? Like, 
Is one more expensive than the other? To be honest, I, I don't track that part of it very well, but I intend to because as feedstocks become more in, de in demand and more competitive, I think we're going to see that. Now, I think soybean is pretty expensive, and it also has not quite as good CI reduction as a used cooking oil, for example, which is from, you know, waste oil. Um, so soybean oil isn't quite as attractive to reduce carbon intensity as these other feedstocks. Okay. Carbon intensity. Talk us through that because I get it, you get it, but a lot of our folks may not get what carbon intensity means. So the whole idea is to reduce the carbon intensity of the fuels we consume. So in California, for example, diesel's carbon intensity is about 100. If you make renewable diesel out of, say, a soybean feedstock, you might get a 50 to 58 CI. So that's almost half of what the fossil diesel is. You could see used cooking oil and animal fat down in the low 30s. So obviously, the lower the carbon intensity of the, of the product, the more it's worth. Because as you're, as you're buying these feedstocks, you're going to be paying the value of that credit and the reduction of CI. Well, that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> Talk about it. Yeah. That's when I just go, I think I know enough of it to be dangerous, but okay. All right. So logistically, what are, what are, so right now it's, it's, it's pretty much confined to California, Oregon, Washington. There's legislation. There's clean fuels legislation. I can't say that legislation pending in New Mexico, uh, New York, bunch of other places. But from a logistics standpoint, is there are there availability issues with this stuff? Having lived in California, Michael, flies. We've had our low carbon fuel program in place since 2011, and pretty much all of the renewable diesel would come either by vessel from Nesty or by rail car. And so now that Oregon and Washington are also in the program, most of that renewable diesel is going to come via water, rail car. And logistically, you know, if you've ever had to, you know, go to, to a transloading facility for a rail car, you got to take your truck there and transload it. It creates another layer of logistics. And I'm sure those in the freight industry understand it's not the same as going up to a, a pipeline terminal and, and fueling your truck there. So in many cases, it has to be transloaded, taken to another facility, and then sold. So the logistics are real. The, the challenges are real. Now in California, like I said, we've got two refineries in the Bay Area about to be producing upwards of 50,000 barrels a day each. Kendra Morgan is allowing these uh, the shipment of renewable diesel to several terminals, both in Northern and Southern California. In Oregon, they require a uh, 5% biodiesel in their pipeline because they don't ship any jet fuel. So I expect to start seeing more renewable diesel getting into the pipeline as needed. Washington just rolled out their low carbon fuel program. And I think, you know, they've got some growing pains. I had talked to someone at Marathon and they were thinking that that Dickinson Renewable diesel may just go to Washington now because Marathon Martinez will be producing so much in the Bay Area. So there's going to be some switches as to where it goes. But to me, the most important thing is the, the renewable diesel is going to go to the best price market. They're going to take it wherever they can get the best price. So it may go to Canada 
and they go to Washington, Oregon, or California. As other states pick up low-carbon programs, if it's closer to the production facility, it'll go there. And how, okay, so just for our viewers, so what that means is it's, you're, you're looking at suppliers or producers that are going to play the arbitrage. It's what we call the arbitrage, right? So they're going to look at whether it's, it's better to sell it into Canada or sell it into another state, as long as the price is high enough to offset the cost of getting it from point A to point B, right? Right. And one of the drawbacks in Canada, of course, you know, the federal programs like the R- RFS for RINs and the blender credit, those, those Canada doesn't get to take advantage of that, but they make up for it by having their credit price in the $300 range. So they cover, they cover the cost of those government programs. So, you know, it, again, it's going to go to the best market. Okay, so it's let's let's just kind of tra- trace it through the supply chain. So it gets produced. It can be shipped in a pipeline. What are the other ways you could ship it? You could ship it. Obviously, you could put it in a tanker. Can you put it in a rail car? Oh, absolutely. Most of the Midwest, you know, like in in South Dakota, where uh, Marathon Dickinson plant, um, Diamond Green. They'll either bring it by rail or ship it around. And there's been this huge delay in the Panama Canal. So you look at your logistics, it's probably cheaper to send it by rail car at this point if you're in the Gulf. Um, but the bigger producers typically will ship it by rail from the Midwest. Of course, in California, we've got a couple refiners producing it. And also World Oil down in L.A. is making renewable diesel. But for the most part, it's either going to come in by water or it's going to come in by rail car. And California just started, you know, shipping real quantities of renewable diesel. And that's basically because refiners are now producing it. Prior to that, it all came by water or rail. But in the, in the big picture, a lot of it is shipped by rail. Okay. So, okay. So it goes from the pipeline, it's, it's shipped either on a pipeline or it gets to what we call the rack, right? Which is where where the suppliers, like the distributors, the large distributors who resell this and supply it to their customers, they go to get it. Is this sold pretty much, is there any place in California or Oregon that it's not sold? I don't think so. Um, Price discovery is still challenging. We are seeing some price, renewable diesel price postings now in California more than we had before, but it's just a few players. But yeah, um, I think Almost every distributor in California, Oregon, and now Washington probably has access to renewable diesel. Okay, so let's talk about price. So is this competitive with ultra-low sulfur diesel or carb diesel or like, it's a new market. It's a nascent market, right? And you and I have been through this before and those markets kind of take a while to discover themselves. But is if a, if a guy decides to pull up, if he's told that he has to pull up to a truck stop that sells renewable diesel... Is he going to be paying more for that or what? What's what's the story with that? So typically, if you're pulling into a truck stop in California, it's going to be 80% renewable and 20% biodiesel. And normally, not every day, biodiesel is cheaper than regular diesel. So you may see a discount for the renewable R80B20 blend. But at the end of the day, it competes with fossil diesel and for the most part, renewable diesel pricing also includes those climate fee charges, even though they're not um, 
they're not 100% applicable. I want to point out that renewable diesel does have some obligation under cap and trade, at least in California, but it's a very small obligation for emissions. But for the most part, you know, when you have a 42 cent LCFS and cap and trade obligation, that gets added to the rack price. And typically you'll see renewable diesel a, a little bit below that price. It might be discounted a few cents, but it's going to compete with a fully loaded carb diesel price or fully loaded diesel price that has whatever climate fees are included. And in terms of supply, so pretty much most of the major truck stop chains are offering this, right? Absolutely. Like I said, in California, it's going to be the R80B20. But if you're in the Midwest, I, I took my RV to South Dakota last year, and it, it's, you know, an 80-20 blend for diesel uh, with 80% regular diesel and 20% biodiesel. But once you get into the obligated states, Oregon, California, Washington, those truck stops are going to have renewable and bio because of the, the climate, the, the credits for the climate charges. Well, from the from the driver's perspective, really, and you and I talked a little bit about this yesterday, it it really, if it's required in the state, they have to use it. But at the end of the day, what it really boils down to is they're going to go where it's cheapest if if that's what they do, right? Well, I mean, it's all about price. If you don't have a mandate to use a particular product, you're going to go for the best price. I mean, let's face it, your rig's getting fortified last to a gallon. You, you want the most economical price you can get. If it's mandated, then obviously you're going to pull the product that you've been mandated to pull. But price is still the driving issue, in my opinion. Well, I think, well, we know that that's how this market works, right? All right, so people have been asking me about performance of it, especially with lubricity, and you touched on that before. Walk us through like what that means, and are there, do we know, are there lubricity issues with this, or do they not need to worry? So back years ago, when we went to ultra-low sulfur diesel, we immediately learned that removing the sulfur impacted lubricity of the diesel in a big way. And so we had to overnight come up with the lubricity additive to get the fuel back up to spec so it didn't damage the diesel engine. So ultra-low sulfur diesels had to have lubricity additive since we switched. Renewable diesel doesn't have lubricity as well. And so it needs a lubricity additive, which it, it, it can handle without any problem. And like I said, in a lot of cases, suppliers will blend biodiesel because biodiesel is very rich in lubricity. So you, if you blend 20% biodiesel, you don't need to put an additive in for lubricity with your renewable or regular diesel. So the biggest benefit of the biodiesel is that lubricity um, character. And in terms of what else did I want to ask you about this? Um, is there anything that anybody who is driving a truck really needs to be concerned with this? It almost seems like it's not a big deal and it's it's somewhat of a non-event because it's a drop-in fuel, right? Renewable diesel is definitely a drop-in fuel. Um, years ago, when we started doing um, a B20 blend in the Bay Area, we found that our filters on our dispensers clogged up pretty quickly, and we were having to change out filters on our dispensers. Um, I think if you're doing a 20% blend with your diesel or renewable diesel, the people selling the fuel have to be on top of cleaning out the filters and changing out filters at dispensers. I um, mean, that was our 
our main issue was the uh, filters having to be changed. Now, depending on the feedstock, that particulate matter tending more or less. So, you know, it all depends on on the different feedstocks. But that was the the number one thing was, you know, clogging fuel filters. Um, I, you know, I think that's probably improved over time. We We have a few minutes left. And I just want to ask you one important thing about this. So, you know, and, and this doesn't necessarily hit the guy that's putting it in his truck, right? But it does affect the price. How can you hedge this? Is there a way for the suppliers to hedge the volatility in the price or what? What in our closing, we have like maybe three minutes left. What do you think about that? So that is really an issue. I mean, obviously, if you're going to be hedging, you know, diesel, you're going to be looking at heating oil plus or minus a basis differential what, where your market's trading. And we're seeing less and less people willing to trade those basis differentials. The problem with renewable diesel and biodiesel is that the feedstocks are different. It isn't heating oil. Although heating oil is the benchmark, being able to come up with that basis differential is very challenging. Um, Elaine Levin, as you know, her and I have discussed this, and there has to be some tools that to be developed so that we can hedge it better. And one thing people are looking at is maybe hedging feedstocks as a way to help hedge any risk you may have with renewable diesel or biodiesel. So, you know, the big, you know, I could, I could buy diesel on the NYMEX all day long, but that doesn't cover my risk in my market. And, and therein lies the challenge. And the risk with this is the feedstocks pricing, right? Well, feedstocks pricing logistics, you know, let's just say it gets cold and and you can't get your rail cars in. I mean, sometimes getting the railroad to get your cars in can be a real challenge. So anything can happen. That's why you have to, we're going to have to find a way to manage risk market by market. Okay. Okay. Well, I wish we had more time. I mean, we could probably talk about this for another hour. You are such a delight to have as a guest. If anyone that's viewing this has some interest in talking to Dolores directly, as I said, Santos Consulting Services, LLC, uh, just the best, the best there is. And hopefully you'll come back again and we'll talk about something else. Great, Scott. Thank you so much. I, I love this industry just a little too much, I think. Yeah. Well, thank you, my dear. Uh, again, always a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon.